1: And I'm broadcasting from my little studio beneath the stairs here in Old Thorn Hill, just north of Toronto. And I hope wherever you are tonight, hearing the sound of my voice, that you're safe and healthy and hopefully not alone. But if you are alone, just know that you are not. Uh, You're with all of us tonight. Hey, have you found this, that, that you appreciate each increasingly rare, it seems, human interaction all the more? these days a, a conversation from one front porch to a neighboring front porch uh, i can't remember the last time i spoke to my uh, at length to my neighbor mario and, and we did that yesterday a wave across the street to someone you've seen in the neighborhood before but you've never spoken to as you both go along your your solitary strolls maybe a, a skype call with friends in another part of the country uh it's um uh, it's it's amazing i i i can't think Help but think that this, after this plague has lifted, we're all going to be forever changed for the better. Uh, or at least I hope that's the case. To hope, perchance to dream. And we'll talk about dreams in the first hour. Craig Webb is the executive director of the Dreams Foundation and the author of Dreams Behind the Music. And we'll get into how dreams influence the creative process. The songwriting process of such artists as Lennon and McCartney and others will probably touch on whether uh, the uh, coronavirus has entered into our dreams and nightmares. Uh, It's impossible to stray too far from coronavirus, but most of the heavy lifting in terms of that topic uh, will be covered by my guest in hour two, Ali Siadatan, no stranger to this program. He is a documentary filmmaker from Think Again Productions, and uh, he's also a martial artist and a a serious student of scripture, and he'll be here again in hour two with some profound insights into how the coronavirus pandemic may be interwoven with biblical prophecy. Uh, But Ali assures me it's not all doom and gloom, even when the the storm clouds have gathered and all seems dark and uh, depressing, there's always some light and hope. To be found and that will certainly be part of his message when Ali joins me in uh, hour two and I'll be sure to carve out some time each hour uh, for phone calls because I'd love to hear from you in hours one and two. Craig Webb is a dream analyst, author and researcher. He's also a widely traveled speaker and musical artist who's done pioneering lucid dream research at Stanford and designed peak performance devices distributed worldwide. His book, The Dreams Behind the Music, reveals little-known dreams that inspired tremendous success for over 100 famous artists and highlights principles and techniques anyone can use to harvest their own dreams for significant breakthroughs. Hey, Craig, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Great to join you again, Richard. Thanks for the invite.
2: Uh, doing pretty peaceful. I think we're all in our our home studios today right
1: yes we are yes Keeping we are safe.
2: I say uh, you know the social distancing uh, as a metaphor as a dream person I'm not so crazy about it so I say physical distancing very good and respects the masses and and our neighbors but socially connected
1: yes yes and as I was mentioning I think at least for me personally I'm more mindful with each human interaction I mean I, I have four other people in the house here but others on the street, I almost, I crave that, you know, and a simple gesture, a wave hello now, takes on much more meaning. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: And I think that's one of the big, if we start to unwrap this terrible challenge facing everybody in the world, really, uh, there are definitely some gifts, or at least we can turn the, the, lemonade, the lemon into lemonade and find some gifts. And I think empathy connection is one of the big messages here. Not so busy that we don't have time for even family, friends. But actually, that should be a priority before, you know, we eventually arrive at death's door and say, "Hmm, I'm not sure if I chose the right things.
1: Right, right. Yes, it's certainly um, getting many of us to pre uh, to reprioritize. How is the, the pandemic? How is coronavirus affecting people's dreams when people talk to you about about this? What are they saying? Well, first off, anything
2: this huge emotionally, which is for most people here affecting us all in different ways, but usually very strong emotions. That's guaranteed to show up in uh, our dreams because dreams are often a language for emotions. Uh, I guess the most general thing is that it shows up in tons more dream recall for many people. Maybe some of the listeners will, will call in and give us their personal stories. But since people, generally speaking, I think have more time, and uh, maybe the time that they have is a bit more relaxed, like more spacious. You don't have to wake up. You can sleep in at least uh, maybe go to bed a bit earlier. The daytime, you can have more room for exercise, eating peacefully. It's not rushed to the office, this kind of thing. Uh, it allows much more, uh, I guess, time for recall. The, the dream channel, the info from the other side becomes clearer. So that's that's about the biggest overall trend that pretty much everybody's had. And then the content starts being usually uh, sort of the pain and the fear at the start. Uh, Examples of I'm at the local, I guess, what is it? The supermarket or I think it was also the mall and everybody's touching everybody and it's very dangerous because we could get infected. So I guess waking concerns transferred to our subconscious. But the, the language of the feeling is a valid feeling. I am feeling really concerned and where is my edge of what I want to do, you know? Maybe a life-and-death choice to go out to, to shopping. So it's obvious that things. And then uh, some people starting to see the more positive side. I've actually been lucky enough to tune in uh, a little bit maybe with a sort of clairvoyance or what I sometimes call tapping the collective conscious with larger aspects of what I believe, A, some of the lessons are, and B, maybe even physical duration of this whole event for us, which could be valuable for people's hope and for their timeline and maybe for their peace of mind to kind of have a sense of it. So for me, that's been one of the things, too.
1: Well, something you just said there reminded me of um you know, I uh, some people collect uh, I don't automobiles, some people collect baseball cards. I collect quotes. I love quotes, oh, and yeah. uh, when I went on uh, I searched you know, quotes about dreaming, and I don't think there's another topic that has so many quotes. I mean, everyone from the great bard to uh, uh, Stephen uh, or, or um, uh, Aerosmith, you, know, uh, sure. uh, you name off, it. Right? Yes, exactly. Every, but John Lennon had one, that, and you, you said something that just twigged that quote, which is, when we dream alone, it's just a dream. But when we dream together, it's reality. Because you talked about tapping into the collective unconscious and, and that we're all sort of now, humanity, all sort of dreaming on the same wavelength. Uh, that's that's got to be a powerful thing. Yeah, I think there is that connection. That's
2: been, I mean, I haven't been able to track that exactly other than some of the common dreams that people have a little bit. But let's say more, almost connections across the inner net, basically tuning into Mm -hmm. others. They're always there anyways, especially between close partners, twins, family members, because just like we like to reach out through Skype or, uh, I guess, Zoom now, or we reach out through the phone or, or however sometimes we meet live, obviously, Uh, The same way we can reach out in dreams, and that's uh, been happening always. I've seen that plenty. But perhaps people are noticing that a little bit more. Hey, the internet, the invisible version in dreams of the internet, is actually a place where we can reach out to maybe somebody who needs help that we didn't know about and that kind of thing. So there's some of that being tapped. And then I guess the concerns, you know, markets uh, for, for the financial world is a big concern. So people are tuned into that concern. And then I guess the actual... Fear or challenges around family members or, or self who might have this you know, unknown disease that we've never really faced. No person up until, what, two months ago, three months ago, has ever had immunity or known what the experience is. So it's a huge unknown. And, and those archetypes will show up in, in people's dreams as a, a pretty archetypal feeling, but different specifics for each person. I, I gave one example before, but there are others. Right,
1: right. Uh, is there a, a connection between the dreams we have at night? and the hopes and dreams that we have for, for our future. Yeah, that's a good one, because people use that same
2: word, you know, oh, I dream of someday <laughs> getting out of self-isolation or, or whatever we're dreaming of. I dream of someday becoming a painter or, or some kind of dream that we hold for our future. We usually use that word. And then, of course, we use it to, to mean these experiences we wake up from at night, the, the dreams that kind of have the rapid eye movements, and the, uh, usually a nap or a meditation or an overnight sleep dream. And the link is a bit less obvious, but I believe they're actually very strongly linked because the dreams that we hold for our future are often seeded with a thought somewhere, maybe a a few needs come in and come in as a thought. And those thoughts, if we start to track them, you'll find pretty closely, and I've seen quite a bit, they actually originated in dreams, if we track it closely, of the morning that we started to think about our future career or maybe our marriage or whatever the big event is oh you know what that's interesting i had a dream that seems on the exact same theme the morning that i started contemplating that new choice or that new life path in fact uh, natives a lot of the i guess indigenous cultures worldwide they'll actually choose quite consciously like on purpose to go on a vision quest and get the dream the vision the the guidance from inside about what their best calling is, what their life path is, and, and that's actually how I chose my life path as a person sharing dreams. I had a powerful vision, and later on, more music. And so, it can be a very powerful way to connect the dreams from the night and in the day if we realize uh, there's there's a pretty strong connection and, and the link that I think makes it valuable for people. Not just what do our dreams mean? That's a great question. It's about since 100 years, I guess, Freud and Jung and some of the early forefathers were analyzing content and what it might mean. But nowadays, and, and what I really encourage is, hey, let's, like uh, the Yoko Ono, I believe, quote that you said, let's find a dream that we can live together. So if I dream of something that's a new creative idea, a song, or a radio guest, you know, if I'm a radio host, or as me, I dream of a way to do a talk or, or something to mention on a radio interview or to write in a book – I'd like to actually ask, what does that want, that dream? And then bring that action to the world as some kind of creative product or connecting with a loved one or whatever the dream seems to want. And then our dreams actually do connect with
1: everybody and become a joint reality. And usually our our inner gifts come out. When you say whatever our dreams want, it almost makes it sound like the dreams are apart from us. It's almost like it's another intelligent entity or it's coming from somewhere else rather than just the manifestation of the mind almost opens up more questions than it answers right (laughs) indeed yes yeah well i don't want to
2: create an artificial rift but generally speaking most people aren't directly connected with their innate wisdom in every moment and of course i'm one of those uh, and often, uh, the, you know, the dream channel or the info that comes as we waken that we usually call dream recall has lots of levels. And I don't want to say it's just always complete guidance from our deepest wisdom or our, our creative visions and things. But generally speaking, the, the noise of the senses is turned off. You know, when we're sleeping, the eyes are closed. We don't have the the, the body's not moving so much so that the tuning in or the inside info that's coming from our inner source maybe the subconscious or even the collective unconscious or if you want to think of it our divine wisdom some deeper level it's actually coming through much clearer so it's kind of when i say what do they want you might rephrase the question of hey what was the deeper part of me that might see a larger picture of my life want and by the way it sent a dream this morning that had some specific uh, tips in it i might contemplate that so maybe that's a larger version of the same question that, that links up hey the deeper self is me but it has a larger vision or a, maybe a sense of what's going to come and what's been passed and what I've forgotten. So it probably is drawing upon a larger wisdom than I have it, my immediate conscious self who's busy and going to the next appointment.
1: <laughs> right. But why Why does it come to us sort of wrapped in mystery, cloaked in symbology? You know, when sometimes when we read the Bible, we might think, why does Jesus talk in these strange parables Why or right. you know why doesn't he just come out and say it why don't our dreams just come out and tell us what they want
2: like point blank right 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 <laughs> uh that's a good question i don't want to pretend to have the answer i can give you my answer i think every listener on these kind of pretty deep almost philosophical questions people should always make their own best choice so as a maybe quote-unquote expert but somebody who's walked the terrain quite a bit i usually empower people first hey Everybody's best answer is is probably part of the whole mosaic of the answer. But my answer to that would be, uh, on one level, uh, there's sort of like a, during the exam, sort of an analogy here, but during the exam, it doesn't make sense for uh, the teacher to give you all the answers. That was what the semester was for, and your research at home, and your projects, and your your presentations and things during the semester, but during the exam, you don't want to you know, get point blank what the answers are. Otherwise, there's no point to to what you learn and it's sort of a fake and you, you might go to the next level without the proper training. So inside info about how to exactly solve every problem in every relationship and choose the perfect path at every moment doesn't leave any leeway for our creative freedom, for us learning and growing. And I, I believe on earth here, it's a bit of a school. So our deeper wisdom, our psyche, whatever you want to call it, uh, actually wants us to grow and learn and become somewhat independent. And then at other moments, you know, we're going down the wrong path and maybe we're going to repeat a recurring loop of something unhealthy, kind of like that movie Groundhog Day. Have you seen that one?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, oh, many Don't times. Worry. Yes. And
2: it's got the good wisdom of it's okay to go after some of the, I think in the movie they actually go through the chakras in order, you know, the food and then sort of sex and money, power. And then so there's kind of a certain order to our desires. But later on and as we move through the different things we want in life, our deeper wisdom keeps nudging us towards, hey, you know, these things you think you want out there in life, the relationship, the house, the car, the job, the role, whatever we want, uh, there's actually a deeper, rich feeling that you actually want behind the things. And the, the inner wisdom coaches us towards different strategies and different goals to to get really clear with uh, sort of the truest, truest, richest feeling of, I think, connection with our divine, probably, service to others, so we get nudged along our life path, and then also full connection with our innate wisdom that once we realize, hey, wow, this whole thing is like the dream of life is uh, actually something I can be quite free of. I still have to play the be in the play as one of the actors, but I don't have to get buffered around by every little scene and stressed and wiped out can have a little more uh, I guess witness approach and uh, inner guidance or dreams I guess is a specific form of that they're always coaching us towards that but they they nudge us they give hints they want us to kind of create learn and, and make a co-creation of our life that's my sense
1: Do yeah, you that's, have, a, you have that's a, a great answer what? uh what you said <laughs> <laughs> Hey, no, I like you your a answer. Lot of confidence. <laughs> I love your answer. Uh, I guess that's why they call it a vision quest, right? We have yeah. to we need an epic sure. an epic mission in our lives and 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 that's the quest. Um we just have a few minutes here before the break, but I just wanted to touch on this quickly before we move on to other things and uh you have a a degree in physics. Right? Uh, which is you know is a very um, analytical and uh, type of mind that's required for that, but how did and how did you start working with dreams, which seems kind of an a, uh, not strange a, a wonderfully strange inter intersection of careers
2: yeah, thanks for that that sort of honors parts of my uh, larger psyche, the larger me that don't always hook up well or connect, but over time we've learned to get along let's just say. <laughs> Uh, so I did do the degree in physics. During the degree, I actually had a powerful near drowning. I don't know wow. if you remember. I think I mentioned to but I got stuck under a raft, whitewater rafting. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So long story short, I kind of had a powerful vision of, wow, I'm dying and came to a rich peace. And, and out of nowhere, because I wasn't really tracking them or interested before that, but I started remembering up to 10 dreams a day, having lucid dreams. Maybe we can talk after the break. And then over a little time, integrating all these strange new inside info with uh, the world I had before that, physics and nuts and bolts and, you know, Newtonian laws. Long story short, I ended up integrating what I now call subjective science, first person dreaming and inside info with the outer science that I think they can eventually work hand in hand.
1: Eventually. Wow. I can't wait for that to, to all come together. Will I live long enough to see it?
2: Uh, Well, hopefully uh, I'll get somewhere (laughs) along the beginner realm. I'm not sure I'm anywhere near intermediate yet,
1: but at least I have a map of where I'm headed. (laughs) Well, that's important. Absolutely. Uh, Craig Webb is my guest, the executive director of the DREAMS Foundation, and uh, the author of the dreams behind the music and when we come back we'll we'll talk about some well-known artists uh, who had dream visits from deceased loved ones uh, you often hear uh, people like Paul Simon and Paul McCartney and others talking about how they are merely the retransmitter they're not the author of these songs many of them uh, anthemic the, the soundtracks to our lives they are they are simply Uh, retransmitting what they have received from the dream world. Inventors talk a lot like that, too. Back with more of our conversation when The Conspiracy Show continues. My name is Richard Sarrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there.
0: It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett.
1: Craig Webb is with us, the Executive Director of the Dreams Foundation, and uh, we are also talking about uh, uh, the the way that dreams intersect with creativity. He's uh, the author of The Dreams Behind the Music. Uh, before we get to that, you, you mentioned during your near-drowning experience, uh, or after, rather, your near-drowning experience, you began uh, to uh, have tremendous dream recall, something like 10 dreams A night, Uh, so that you attribute directly to the the near drowning experience, or was there something else that you were doing uh, to enhance that recall?
2: Oh yeah, no, I I don't do any drugs, so it might sound like (laughs) it to the listeners, but uh, I, I seem to get pretty strongly connected without that avenue. I. It's all in retrospect, so it's sort of my interpretation of what happened. I just, at first, tell the data that I did start to remember up to 10 dreams a day. And, you know, not just until the shower or breakfast, you know, how dreams kind of disappear pretty quickly. Yes. Uh, They would last into the afternoon, into following days from the day before. I remembered a few. And so what I later interpreted and understood was that the floodgates has opened to some part of my psyche that I hadn't really been paying any attention to. You know, as you said, the physics was very logical, analytical, sort of very left brain, nuts and bolts, how the world works. But I had started with the question of asking, like, how do all of these things work? What's going on in the universe and in, in people, and sort of a larger, maybe almost philosophical question. Then did the physics degree? And, I sort of think that just because I went so strongly into one side of the psyche, that uh, intuitive side and maybe the emotions and the whole part that I had been leaving behind, pretty much in my degree, just came really strongly pushing through. And I almost actually view the stuck under the raft for maybe 30 seconds, a minute, or however long it was, because I just remember sort of feeling, wow, I'm dying. And a rich, rich, deep peace, which I wouldn't expect. You know, I thought drowning might be. <laughs> stressful and i didn't have any air and I, I did have a helmet but i was stuck under so i just kind of attributed something happened where it sort of whiplashed and the other part of me spoke up really clear and I rebalanced so i started having intuition open which intuition and dreams are kind of the same thing sort having 10 dreams a day lucid dreams dreams of the future that were very clear have you ever dreamt something that you feel uh, came true later richard
1: well that's a tricky thing because not having written them down uh Sometimes I'm, I wonder whether I dreamt something before it happened, but then, you know, again, it's difficult to say. Or like uh, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure whether I, I dreamt uh, something before it happened, but sometimes I think I may have, but again, no documentation. I need uh-huh. to write my dreams down. Yeah. And if we took a poll of the
2: listeners, uh, they might be quite surprised because we don't often talk about these things too much. Sometimes uh, it's a bit taboo or otherwise we just don't focus on it so much like me and my physics degree. I wasn't against it, but it just didn't really spark my interest. There was lots of other things going on in the out there world. Uh, But if we took a poll, actually two out of three people would pretty clearly say, yeah, at some point I've I've dreamt something that was pretty specific and came true within a fairly short amount of time that I could track it. Sometimes thematically, like the feeling and some of the characters were the same, but not the exact scenario. And then sometimes, you know, specific, exactly what I dreamt came true is almost impossible uh, within like a day or the same day or maybe a week later or something very short. So it gets interesting uh, when we can track it. About 1 in 12, this is research over over a pretty large sample, 1 in 12 people have dreamt something very specific and then told or written about it or somehow recorded it beforehand with somebody else that then later came true. So that's pretty high percent of almost verifiable dreams. So it's happening out there, but uh, not so many people are talking about it, and some don't believe it, but if they started to track it, I think it's kind of like, uh, you know, we all have empathy, but some of us don't use it as much as others. It's just a skill that's probably worth developing if we realize it can really help us and help others, but it's a, it's a challenging skill, I can tell you, after exploring the realm of tuning into advance events in advance, here is a Let's say recovering thinkaholic physicist, as I sometimes playfully call myself, uh, it's quite a challenging skill. You know, a lot of responsibility comes with knowing things and then having to act differently with that knowledge. So So
1: could you give me an example of a recent prescient dream that you've had?
2: uh, Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'll just say a big one that might be on a lot of listeners' mind, and they can see if it plays out. But I dreamt pretty clearly, and for me, I I dreamt it twice, actually, in different format of the duration of this whole pandemic, at least probably for Canada, because that's where I'm located, is going to be about eight months or nine months, I guess, uh, maybe about eight months or so from here. But when I first dreamt it, about nine months, uh, and go towards about Christmas. I don't think it's a perfect fit, because obviously, there'll be waves Yes. Uh, sort of going out more, and then unfortunately it starts again. So I did dream that it was going to be waves. And I think some of it will end, like some of the border blockages and this and that should end before other things, like maybe international travel for pleasure and stuff. But a lot more than the two three weeks we were initially told, and even maybe the month or two. So people can see if that plays out, and I even have questions like tonight on the show. Is that some kind of inside info that I share? Maybe it doesn't make a huge difference in people's lives, but it could really affect some people's choices. And it certainly affects choices I make. Are there more specific things I've I've dreamt many times for other people's health uh, and very things that I probably wouldn't know about specifically and that I check later. And that's hugely important to them almost that day or that week. Or something where they're going to have an accident. Uh, many dreamers sort of dream to protect. Mothers often have dreams of protection for their kids, which is natural. Uh, you know, people sort of dream what they, what they can do something about. I'll give you an example here that's not from me, so I'm not just selling. But I, I did want to make it a little personal. That usually a few times a week I'll have a pretty clear prescient dream. But uh, our friend Bono, you know, the U2 singer. Yes from uh, the rock group there for for the younger generation who might not have heard uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday and The <laughs> Name of Love and some of the newer ones Innocence album. Uh, he had a very powerful experience. He wasn't sure if it was quite a wake dream or he was just imagining listening, but during the night he uh, was, I guess, before a performance at Wembley Arena, he was listening to a soundtrack from Blue Velvet, which uh, is a David Lynch movie, and the soundtrack yes. had... Uh, I think Roy Orbison's In Dreams, song In Dreams on it. Maybe our producer can cue it up there. It's a great one. Uh, But uh, he sort of heard that, didn't really, wasn't listening. He was half asleep, a little stressed out. But then he woke up with this sort of melody and song and a few lyrics. Mystery girl, she's a mystery to me. And I was kind of like, oh, that that must be Roy Orbison. I'm sure it's Orbison. I guess that's on the album. And he looked there and he he saw In Dreams, which actually was a dream-inspired song. In Dreams was dreamt by Orbison. He dreamt of Elvis (laughs) with the new hit. Wow, So maybe it's had its alchemical effect on on Bono's dreams, but there was no song Mystery Girl or anything like it. And he said, oh, okay, well, maybe I've just written it, or whatever the Irish accent there is. (laughs) And he started working on it, pretty inspired that day, and uh, he went to soundcheck and played it for the band members, The Edge and I guess the others, and said, does this sound like Orbison, Orbisonic? And they said, yeah, actually, it's kind of catchy, sort of an Orbison tune. Uh, Where'd you get it? He said, oh, I dreamt it this morning and so they were kind of like oh okay cool and they they did the whole performance you think he'd be tired right after like encore and the whole <laughs> uh, one would <laughs> but think actually, yeah. in the dressing room he started working again on that exact song and i guess he was really into the creative process and didn't want to lose it which is a good little suggestion for creators or anybody getting a, a dream insight it's good to catch it while it's fresh so he was there and there's a suddenly a knock on the door and the security guard says uh it's a bit unusual here uh but uh, Mr. Orbison is here to see. Oh, it.
1: get out of town! Uh, so that's what the guys
2: in the band said. Oh, you were pulling our crank, you know? It's not possible. You knew all along, and blah blah blah. And Bono said, "I swear to you, you know, I did, had no clue. I never met him. Didn't know he was in London. Certainly not at our concert." And then, uh, so he came in. You know, after, after the guys eventually said, "Ah, oh, come on, come on," he came in, and his first thing he said was, "I liked your concert. I don't know why, but I definitely liked it. My children liked it, and told me to come check it out." And the second thing out of Orbison's mouth, standing there beside his wife, was, "Do you have a song for me? Because I feel you might, and I'd like to work with you." And that like, everybody flipped, and we're falling over and everything. And Bono says, "Well, I guess I, I do." Oh <laughs> and then he ended up being uh, the producer and recording of the that song on Orbison's last album. And you know the movie that came out last Christmas, Aquaman. Yes. The yes. the big song where boy meets girl, where he met uh, I guess it's that uh, British actress there. I forget her right, name. Right. Right but uh, Aquaman meets his, let's say, girlfriend, that was the song Mystery Girl. So it's a I think it's song. had lots of other, but it made it into a huge, huge movie at a pretty important time. And that's yes. kind of the alchemical power of these dreams. We don't exactly know always consciously where and what they want, but asking that question and just sort of showing up and listening to the, the nudges that we get as we work on it, that can bring some pretty major gifts,
1: at least personally, but sometimes publicly, like like Bono. That's that's an incredibly powerful and just very, very cool, uh, that story. Uh, and of course, and this is what you write about, of course, in, in the dreams behind the music. Yeah. And you, you dedicate a whole chapter to people, artists, actually collaborating in their dreams, it would appear. I mean, it's hard to imagine that that happens. I mean, Orbison wasn't exactly collaborating with Bono, but he seemed to have a sense that Bono had a song for him and showed up at just the right moment but have have songwriting duos actually collaborated in a dream state
2: yeah it's an interesting one huh? like uh, sort of like we have zoom or skype or one of these things nowadays can we do it on dreams uh, anybody who's sort of tracked their dreams for a while can say yeah sure of course i've done it plenty you can start to see that whatever manifests in the outer world as above so below in other words the, there'll be an inner correlate to any kind of big development in the world. The movie camera appeared at the same time as dreams started making it in public. I don't know if you noticed the connection. Edison actually would often take his actual dreams. You know, he'd encourage his employees to nap. And he was the one who he didn't exactly invent it, but who brought the kinetoscope and the camera and actually the the link up of music to the camera to the public. So the private dreams of an inventor become public as movies. And many, many other things. So it's natural that any kinds of things like collaborations between artists happen in dreams. One that's interesting, uh, well, Bono, by the way, not just with Roy Orbison. He was, a, I mean, still is probably a tune dreamer for, for big collaborations. He also dreamt a whole big collaboration with Bob Dylan.
1: Craig, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come up and we'll pick up on... Uh... Artists who collaborate through their dreams. Craig Webb from the Dreams Foundation. Back with more on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome back. Craig Webb from the Dreams Foundation stays with us. Coming up in Hour 2, Ali Siadatan, documentary filmmaker, will be here to discuss coronavirus and biblical uh, prophecy. And uh, uh, off the air, Craig had a a brilliant idea, came to him in a dream. Um, He would love to hear from listeners. If you've had a a prescient dream, a precognitive dream, uh, or or a precognitive nightmare, I suppose. Uh, we could uh, certainly entertain your call. And uh, the numbers to call, 416-360-0740. That's in the Greater Toronto Area, 416-360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Before the break, you were talking about collaborations in the dream state, and you mentioned uh, Bono again, uh, Bono, rather, and uh, Bob Dylan. Uh, What happened there?
2: So, pretty much like the Orbison connection we spoke about, uh, he dreamt a a song. Same thing for Bono, and he felt, oh, this must be a Bob Dylan song. (laughs) And so he uh, actually reached out that day that he dreamt to to Bob Dylan, called him up, or I guess got his agent or somebody to connect and find the number. Never spoke to him before, but over the phone they said yeah let's do it and they did and they recorded a song together that uh, well at the time Dylan didn't share but later he did in his performances because he was with the Traveling Wilburys then but Bono and uh, you 2 has shared online there's, there's quite a number uh, the uh, there's a strange aspect, and I'll just mention for colors because we can come back to collaborations in a sec. But like uh, we're talking about a precog nightmare that might be interesting, or even just a nightmare upsetting dream. Sometimes we can offer quick insights that really help somebody. So hopefully we'll hear from some folks. But John Lennon had, uh, I think, both there precog and sort of a nightmare. Actually, three. Two of them were upsetting, but three dreams that kind of came in a series. Our, our famous Beatle here had uh, dreams of what. I think together, if you piece them together and kind of do a little bit of a collage, come pretty close to predicting his own murder. He dreamt mm. of being in a, in a restaurant with a chubby stranger coming in, so chubby and wearing spectacles, very specific glasses, just like the, the murderer did, the, the assassin, I guess, and holding a revolver, the exact same kind of gun. that the. And then in a second dream, I don't think the same night, but quite close to it, a day or two, he dreamt of somebody outside the Dakota who was very questionable and asking all kinds of things. And the Dakota was his hotel where, unfortunately, his uh, murderer came and was asking questions and meeting with him. And, and uh, the terrible event happened. So putting, And he was pretty nervous after the dreams. Like, he knew this was something real, not just random. But a year later was the event. So, you know, he's a busy gent and nothing, probably wasn't thinking about it at the time that it happened. So... Could it have been avoided or not? We don't know. But it was definitely hinted at pretty clearly and pretty specifically.
1: Um, my uh, my late radio partner, R. Gary Patterson, uh, was a rock and roll historian. And uh, he told me this story uh, involving John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Carl Perkins. And this was uh, uh, several years after Lennon's death. And it was just before Carl Perkins died, and he decided to uh, collaborate with, with Paul McCartney. And so McCartney came to the United States and um, uh, came into the studio, and, and Carl said to, to Paul, I have a song that sort of came to me in a dream the other night, and um, I'd like to play it for you and, 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 and see what you think. And uh, it was called um, Think of Me Once in a While. And he played the song and McCartney just broke down and started to sob uncontrollably, uh, which is very unlike the, the, you know, he's rather stoic. <laughs> and um, after he, he McCartney left the studio and Linda came back in. Uh, Linda McCartney came back yeah. and uh, Carl said, did I, I'm sorry, did I say something to offend him? And he said, uh, Linda said, no, no. Uh, just not too long before John Lennon died, Paul came to the Dakota to visit with him, and uh, as they said goodbye, they hugged, and Lennon said to him, I'll see ya. maybe think about me once in a while. The last words he said to McCartney, and it, that song came to Carl Perkins. The exact lyrics. Wow.
2: In other words, a bit of a, like, a wink from beyond the veil or something like that, maybe.
1: Yes, yeah. Sort of a collaboration in the dream state, if you will. Yeah,
2: and maybe nobody, now we can tell the story and it makes sense, but outside that moment, unless we tracked it a little bit, nobody except McCartney could have told the, the link and the connection, but it was hugely important for him. So sometimes they're private, but uh, sometimes they're more public. For example, Jimi Hendrix, uh, before he was a big dreamer, by the way, uh, dreamt some of the Purple Haze and some others, uh, not necessarily always free from uh, substances, but definitely tuning in <laughs> on, on other levels. And then after, I guess, graduating from Earth, I like to say, passing beyond, he would often come, and maybe still does, to to super guitar players, especially because that was his... So Stevie Ray Vaughan had a powerful dream where, you know, he was, I guess, Jimi Hendrix was teaching him, he called Secret Chord Changes. And uh, Stevie's wife actually verified, yeah, he was lying in bed and uh, he was reaching his arm out in his kind of fashion when he's doing really hard riff solos and gritting his teeth and stuff. So uh, that was the night that uh, Jimmy came and taught him some secret chord changes. So perhaps he's actually kind of visiting. And then a few others, the Allman Brothers, he brought them a song and so I believe there's some kind of link, at least with the energy or maybe the vibe or the, the creativity of that soul. But we can also maybe extend it to say, yes, yeah, somehow the being is uh, still doing their service of bringing gifts to earth, and they just do it through the living. Who knows?
1: Do you think that m- might have something to do with the, the possibility that – I mean, I believe that the mind exists outside the body. It's not a product of the brain. Uh, and if it exists outside the body, outs- it's 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 – it's not material, therefore it's eternal, therefore you could say it, it, it exists outside of time and space. So there is no past, present, and future, there's just the now, as far as the mind is concerned. Yeah, maybe after the break we can get a little bit into that. I think uh, we're. Y- done. You know the show clock better than I do. You're right. As <laughs> <That's> a precognition. <laughs> there you go. Craig Webb is from the Dreams Foundation, and we'll uh, talk more dreams and nightmares when the conspiracy show continues. Stay with us.
0: Exploring theories, uncovering facts and offering a different view
1: of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Just before the break, I was kind of uh, wondering about the the existence of the mind outside of the body uh, and so forth. We'll come back to that in a minute. I just want to grab a quick call here. David is checking in from Arizona tonight. David, good evening. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
0: Hi, I'm great. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. I, I tune in all the time. I have been for years. Um, Thank you. My question for, for uh, your guest, Mr. Webb, was: um, I've had a few incidents um, in my lifetime where I I, uh, I had a uh, a dream of a place that I'd never been to. You know, um, just kind of a benign, uneventful dream of just like being in a locale that I, I'd never uh, ever traveled to, and then. Um, uh, the, the first one materialized it, it it's in a uh, place in the White Mountains in Arizona. Uh, uh we had been there before camping uh, you know with my family as when we were younger but um I mean it, it just uh, it was an old dusty colored uh it, it's sort of like a a blue dusty colored uh old service station that's no longer um uh, it's it's defunct you know it was probably from the 40s and like uh, when I was about eighteen nineteen i i go with my brother, we go on a camping trip after I graduated high school, we're just kind of you know doing something in the summer, but we go to a town that we'd never been to before you know we wanted to kind of uh, um do a little more exploring as far as campsites and uh and there it is this this just, just, just <laughs> kind of uh, it's a fork in the road uh and there's this old gas station that I I I just remember I, I'd seen that in my dreams. You know, I'm fifty six years old now but, but uh I just I never forgot how did this image uh like manifest in real life. It's always been there, but I'd never been to that town and it's not the first time and, and there's sort of this missing link in these in this chain of dreams that I'm waiting to see for this next one to materialize. And I'd like to <laughs> ask your you know, your guest what his take is on that. I don't know what you call it precognitive uh location
2: dream? Yeah. Well, thanks, David. That's an awesome question. I bet you a lot of people can resonate and uh, connect with you because they've tuned into something. Uh, the words don't matter so much. Some more common words are, that might be like almost clairvoyance. is so something that you see that is later a physical location so you can kind of see it at a distance. A physicist, uh, my science part of me might call it remote viewing <laughs> but it's really kind of the same inner talent. It's also sort of precognition because it's something that you later experience that you dreamt beforehand, right? So it's some tuning into the future. And they all overlap a little bit. Like we have the colors of the spectrum, there's slight variations, and we have the inner types of perception, but they're all light or they're all ways of tuning in and getting info. My guess is uh, partly why it happened uh, would be the, the question you had, how does that work? our psyche and our deeper wisdom wants us to start developing different skills and you know you probably weren't thinking about it or maybe you were consciously wondering but it's giving you a little kick start for something that's way out of the ordinary that doesn't get taught in many schools and yet it's there direct in your face and at least personally and maybe even if you told your brother ahead of time Uh, You both have something that's a strong anomaly or some very unusual thing in your face. You have to start having a new model of how life and the mind and world and time work. A little bit like Richard was getting at with his his idea of the great now, that we can tune into events across time or across distance somehow. And that question of sort of how does it work, I might even encourage you to ask why. I sort of answered a little bit of why. But then you can say, okay, but why me and why then? and there'll be an answer inside you i probably can't answer it because it's your life but the why could be an interesting answer and if you ask it it's like planting a seed the the plant will grow the question the answer will come if you don't ask it it might just pass by and maybe a gift won't get unwrapped or something good so that's what i encourage but it's not too uncommon just so you know you're not
1: crazy but uh, there's probably a gift there if you want to develop it thank you for that david so that's interesting uh it's not so much, we, we do, we focus on what was that all about? How did that happen? Rather than what do we do with that? And it's almost like you're playing a video game and all of a sudden there is this artifact that's dropped into the, into the, the video game and then you're supposed to react to it somehow. Uh, you know, you, you interact with it. Do I, do I try to open it? Do I go around it? What am I supposed to do with this thing that just appeared in my life? Right, right, right. And the
2: video game of life is the analogy, right? Right, right. So So maybe
1: it's it's the narrator
2: kind of all of a sudden appearing, if it's a video game analogy and saying something that's a little bit of a, you know, in these video games, we usually gather different skills or different, I guess, tools for later on in the game. Maybe it's the narrator saying, hey, there's a really valuable tool that we'll need you to have in two years when... Maybe your mom's going to be suicidal or when you're going to have a health problem and you could have avoided it beforehand if you caught the nightmares early. Or some kind of early hint at something that could be developed and later on would become important. But the narrator, because it's kind of a mystery game and we sort of get one step at a time like the scavenger hunt, the narrator's not going to tell you all the exact reasons exactly why right there. It just kind of nudges you into learning
1: it. That's my guess and that's often how it comes. Very cool, very cool. So back to the idea of the the mind existing outside the body being eternal, uh, there being no past, present, or future, it's just now. Uh, Could that explain why we we think we have precognitive dreams and and why we dream what we dream? Yeah, sure. I think
2: even just the question itself almost is self-answering because outside of time is kind of where that part of the mind comes from. Dreams are pretty linked with uh, perceptions, let's just call them, uh, inner perceptions, inner senses, that are away from physical senses to a large degree. Yeah, we can definitely dream about the coffee being brewed or the alarm incorporating or the, maybe the phone ring incorporating into a dream. So sometimes we get a few physical bleed-ins. But more often than not, the data is coming from an outside source, and then tuning into that source is what the gift is, because it's free from time. So we can see things in the future and sometimes very practical things. Example from from the book here, The Dreams Behind the Music, which hopefully people can check out. Dreamsbehindthemusic.com is the website. Uh, Charlie Wilson, pretty well-known, I think, sort of blues, jazz and different kind of artists. Uh, his wife actually had a powerful dream that if he chose to, he could uh, you know, sort of record the song that she got in her dream in the lyrics and the music. And it was very specific. It said, you'll actually be nominated for a Grammy. Not that you'll win, but you'll be nominated if you follow it and create it, you know, if you build it, he will come. Right. And so they did. They took it. He recorded it right after waking. They just kind of worked on it. He got some good people. They recorded. It. And exactly as she said, he was nominated for a Grammy. So probably he tuned in precognitively to a pretty rich future moment because uh, he'd had sort of different substance problems. And that was a bright spot after some pretty dark spots. So
1: Amazing. Amazing. It reminds me, there's um, Johnny Horton, uh, who was kind of a country folk Singer from the early '60s, uh, he he wrote songs that told sort of that were history lessons. Uh, uh, the um, the sinking of the Bismarck and North to Alaska, and uh-huh. uh, he wrote that uh, song about um, oh about the War of eighteen twelve. I can't think of the um, the Battle of New Orleans, yeah. and uh, but there was one song that he recorded called Johnny Rebel. The Johnny, uh, yes, and Johnny Rebel uh, was another one of his hits, and his songwriting partner, who was also his neighbor, um, had a, like a dictaphone by his bed, and he, he woke up, and uh, in the middle of the night, his wife remembered this, and he, he seemed to have written this song in his sleep, and he recorded it in his sleep. Because he woke up the next day, he had no memory of it. Right. He said, "How did this get on the?" And his wife said, "You woke up at three in the morning. Don't you remember?" He said, "He had no clue." And Johnny Horton, his his best friend and and the singer next door, recorded the song word for word, and it was a huge hit for him. Uh, do you know which song? It was called Johnny Rebel. Oh, okay.
2: I'm going to actually yeah. track that one. That's a story I didn't know. You'd be surprised. There's about I only tracked about 220, I think now artists. But probably most creatives and not just musicians actually dream or at least on some level sort of get that quiet waking thought that becomes a huge hit rather than just working on it analytically, which can sometimes work, but has less chance of kind of the big collective conscious gift from below that really wants to speak to many. So I encourage people to kind of check out the the inside info of dreams as a potential huge creative gift and then many other ways in their lives, too.
1: And uh, how do we get a copy of the Dreams Behind the Music?
2: Oh, well, uh, that's, thanks for asking. DreamsBehindTheMusic.com is uh, the direct website if you want to read a little bit more and see it. Or just go to Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. That's an easy way. Or if people want to write me, I often bring it and, and have it at talks, but it might be far for them to do that. So you usually just order it online. We'll try to get you a copy, Richard, because it sounds like you're pretty interested.
1: Oh, it's just, it's it's a fantastic uh, subject area. I mean, I could just talk about this with you all night and we'll we'll do it again some night right. soon, I hope. Right. Dreams, dreams.ca, the best way to reach you?
2: Uh, yeah, or craigweb.ca is kind of my speaker site. Uh, dreams.ca is a little retro in look, but it's got some great content about nightmares, lucid dreaming and uh, craigweb.ca is a little more of the speaker site and some of the articles that people might be interested in. So thanks for, for mentioning it so people can have
1: resources. Craig, it's always a delight. Let's do it again soon. Great. Craig Webb, The Dreams Foundation. Alicia on the other side talking coronavirus and biblical prophecy. Not all doom and gloom. I promise you. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.